Hello, everybody. How you doing? Hope all is well. Welcome back to another episode of Shot of Philosophy. Today, we're going to be back in meditations. This is a pretty good quote. It's got two parts. It's Marcus writing to himself that working on ignoring what goes on in other people's souls. He writes, no one ever came to grief that way. But if you won't keep track of what your own soul is doing, how can you not be unhappy? So I think, you know, we got two parts here. Ultimately, the general theme of this is happiness. And I think if I were to ask you, what are your happiness habits? You might have a few answers and that's great. And then I also think this is asking us to consider the negative aspect of that, right? So not only what do we do, think, or feel that makes us happy, and to what extent are we taking control over that process? To what extent are we being deliberate with that? Let's say the pursuit of happiness. But I also think this quote um, kind of involves, as I said, like the negative aspect of that. So it's not just what are you doing to make yourself happy, but what are you doing to avoid unhappiness? And I think that second question is like a little bit more of the stoic response. And I kind of like it better too, because I think ultimately happiness shouldn't be the first thing that we strive for. I even think that happiness in general is great. That's a good, that's a good sentence, right? Happiness is great. Um, but it's a little bit overrated, right? The Greeks had a better idea that I prefer called eudaimonia, which sort of translates to fulfillment. There's a great video by the School of Life on YouTube. If you go go to YouTube, type in the School of Life, eudaimonia, that's E U. D-I-A-M-O-N-I-A and watch. It's a great video. And they talk about how eudaimonia is kind of like a bigger idea than happiness that we get from the ancient Greeks that thinkers like Plato, Aristotle, among others, were really focused on. So it's not, it's not as, let's say, specific as happiness, right? Because how you can't be in pain and happy at the same time. Where eudaimonia is more about a process of living a fulfilling life. And even within a moment of being fulfilled, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an entirely positive experience, right? So eudaimonia makes room for pain and makes room for suffering in the context of your life. And of course, also makes room for happiness and pleasure. But it sees all of these things as being in service of leading a fulfilling life. And the video also mentions that it involves it, meaning, of course, the idea of eudaimonia leaving the world a better place as a result of your presence. And it sort of references the end of your life, but I also think we can think about it in regards to like the end of a day or the end of a morning even, right? Or the end of a couple hours of your life. Like if you make it your idea or your goal to strive for a, a eudaimonic existence on a daily basis, I think it broadens our ability to accept what happens, right? Because if all, if all you want is happiness, any moment of pain or suffering or anxiety or stress, all of which could eventually serve something good, they become moments where like you're just, you're unaccepting, you're doing combat with yourself and the world more than you might have to versus if you're pursuing eudaimonia, you're like, oh, stress is a part of this, right? This stress could be a good thing. A large part of our growth, of course, and this is a cliche, right? Involves leaving our comfort zone. And there is some truth to that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. In addition, I think we could also say that sometimes being in our comfort zone is also helpful, right? You can grow within your comfort zone too. I think that's sort of a weird, you know, then of course we could say you get comfortable being uncomfortable, another cliche, but not a bad idea either. 
Um, but eudaimonia allows us to seek all of these things, right? If you're obsessed with happiness, you never leave your comfort zone because leaving your comfort zone will be anxiety provoking, stressful, right? So eudaimonia is what we're striving for here. And I think even when we take this quote and we replace unhappy with uneudaimonic, right? We might get a better, a better interpretation and it'll make it more useful, I think, in daily life. That being said, so that's always my happiness rant because I think, you know, I don't love the word happiness, but I do like it. So let's stick with that for a moment, right? Happiness for John Stuart Mill, he likens it or compares it to like the flickering of a candle, right? It's it's there, then like the wind blows and it's out and then it's gone and it's hard to predict, right? Um, I think again, happiness is like a byproduct of doing other things. So to seek happiness, I don't think is a good idea. Right. If, if you wake up in the morning, once again, to kind of riff on this a little bit more, if you wake up in the morning for most of us, I'd say, or a lot of us at least, and like you expect to just wake up happy, I think you're going to be let down a lot. Right. So I think the idea should be this fulfillment idea. Let's get moving in the morning. Let's let's have a goal. Let's try to move towards it. Let's maybe introduce a simple pleasure. Like maybe yeah, I have my coffee. I like the taste of coffee. I like how coffee makes me feel. And then all of a sudden, again, the ball is kind of rolling here, right? The movement, the pursuing something, the, you know, a little bit of a pleasure, right? These are all part of that eudaimonia idea, right? So again, this quote is providing a little bit of the negative and the positive in terms of leading a eudaimonic or a happy life. So the first piece of advice is to ignore what goes on in other people's souls. This obviously for Marcus Aurelius does not mean that we shouldn't care about other people. Really, I think throughout the meditations, we get the sense that Marcus cares profoundly about other people. He really wants to serve the public good as emperor, right? And for other schools of philosophy, the Stoics among them, this really was the most important thing. It was being of service, fulfilling your duties to society, right? So I think my interpretation of this it's sort of like if you spend too much of your time trying to read people's minds, trying to understand people, and that's never accompanied by like asking them, right? Um, hey, how are you feeling? Hey, why'd you do this? Hey, what's on your mind? Whatever, right? You'll spend your whole life basically as an observer of other people, never really observing yourself and taking the actions that you should take that are going to be, once again, fulfilling for you, that might lead to the attainment of happiness for you. And he's saying here, no one ever came to grief that way. So if you ignore, again, in quotes, right, it doesn't mean don't care for, it just means not to be preoccupied with an overly, let's say, um, an overly excessive, which is kind of like doesn't make sense, whatever. If you're excessive trying to understand people, right, and you're trying to read people's minds, I think that's sort of how I interpret this, right? You're going to likely open yourself up to some grief because your interpretations will be wrong. Your interpretations will be biased based on your own way of thinking. And again, your gaze is not being directed towards the important care of your own soul, right? Your gaze is not being directed towards the cultivation of your own virtues, which these things are way more in your control anyway, right? We even get the sense here, this is from Epictetus, who was one of Marcus Aurelius' mentors, right? Again, another Stoic philosopher, a teacher. It's like, 
focus on what you can control other people's souls you cannot control if you are constantly thinking of things you cannot control you're going to open yourself up to experiencing grief and again grief is not happiness so there we go right help others care for themselves and offer other people care of course marcus again is obsessed with that epictetus was obsessed with that but for your own peace you have to learn how to again in quotes ignore what's going on in other people's souls and again i'm interpreting ignore simply as to not excessively um let's say occupy yourself with this odd like you know, type of like trying to read people's minds right again it's out of your control you got to learn how to walk away from it a little bit the second part of this is that self-care element right if you won't keep track of your own soul's doing that's that's him encouraging himself i think to do this to write in this sort of self-writing philosophical journaling way among other strategies i'm sure he used that's self-care to keep track of our own souls doing our own thoughts our own feelings in an organized way for epictetus in a way that's programmatic in a way that's habitual that's thoughtful that's deliberate once again we're opening ourselves up to stress and anxiety and as a result not happiness where we expect ourselves to be happy again and we don't even learn or train ourselves to appreciate happiness when it's in our lives so that question we start off with what are your happiness habits is asking us to sort of map out all right well when i do this sometimes or most of the time i feel pretty good afterwards or when these type of events happen in life they seem to bring me happiness well how could i maybe encourage the occurrence of the, uh, those events more and in a very stoic sense right here are the events that damage my happiness here are the actions thoughts and feelings i habitually create through my own intentions and my own um practices that bring me a lack of happiness i'm adding unhappiness again stress anxiety to my own life so we have to take account of these things right i the example i always use with my clients and students is like you know you don't sign up to go fight somebody you know, maybe like in this context like a boxer or mixed martial artist or whatever right and then like blindfold yourself right you, you want to see your opponent so we could say that our actions thoughts feelings that create a lack of happiness are our opponents in a sense we could say certain events in our lives are opponents they teach us things and we have to learn how to deal with them so our internal life is not damaged but if we won't even keep track of what's going on right which is to say if we don't even have those types of discussions with ourselves we're kind of fighting blind right so two parts here most of which again, as the more i'm working on it now it's like focusing on what we can't control creating a practice where we understand ourselves again self-knowledge as socrates said right know thyself as you know they they carve this into stone in ancient greece know yourself right the real meaning behind that is care for yourself self-knowledge in my opinion is at the service of self-care for a very similar reason right even if uh you know in a prize fight for example a lot of times trainers will watch even the fighters themselves right will watch tape of their opponent to come to know their opponent's habits to come to know their opponent's tendencies more and more right that's detailed knowledge that's very helpful in the fight that's keeping track of what the opponent does 
Right? Sometimes our souls, our minds, our bodies, our environments work with us. Sometimes they work against us. If we're good at gathering evidence and examining it, and if we're good at focusing what we can control and not going too deep into the minds of others without, of course, authentic dialogue, which is helpful for both of us, we end up putting our focus in the wrong place. So two general takeaways here. If you spend too much time thinking about other people, maybe just write some questions you want to ask them. Get out of your own head, write the questions down. And when you see them, hey, look, I was curious about this. Do it authentically, do it kindly, and stop spending too much time thinking about others. This also makes me think a little bit about social media, right? One of the things that social media causes is, you know, fear of missing out. It causes us to compare ourselves to others in ways that aren't favorable. And before it's even favorable or not favorable, and by that I mean like sometimes people feel good because they're, you know, quote, doing better than someone else, or they feel bad because they're, quote, doing worse than somebody else. All of that is a result of not knowing how to ignore what's going on in someone else's life. And it brings people a lot of grief. So again, monitoring our actions, putting the phone down, monitoring our, our thoughts and our feelings, thinking about more positive things. Very good idea here. And then again, another thing you might want to consider, even starting today, right? Tonight, before you go to sleep, check in with yourself for two minutes. Try to keep track of what, what went on today. We could start guiding. This is a bad metaphor, but I'm still kind of tired, so it's okay. We could start guiding our happiness ship more effectively in both rough and calm waters. Going to have to end it there because that wasn't great. But thank you for listening. I hope some of this was helpful. I'll talk to you soon.